When you lose your faith, you stay home from church. When you stay home from church, you end up watching chick flicks on the Lifetime Network. When you watch chick flicks on the Lifetime Network, you cry during sappy breakup songs. When you cry during sappy breakup songs, you crash your car. When you crash your car, you end up in the hospital. When you end up in the hospital, you get mistaken for a patient in need of a cesarean section. Don't get mistaken for a patient in need of a cesarean section. Keep your faith. Well, a good morning. I am. I hope you enjoyed that video. I found that last night. I, um, as you get from the bulletin, I will be speaking on faith today, and I hope that I can tie that in. So I am honored to be speaking once again. Um, there's two special reasons for that I'm so honored to be speaking on this Sunday. One, it's National Back to Church Sunday. So, you know, churches all across America are going to be have people in them who haven't been in church for a while. And I'm so glad that everybody is here. I love coming to church with everybody here. I love worshiping with you guys. I love just fellowshipping, just standing afterwards and talking. It, it's just one of the things that makes this church special. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being here last week and celebrating our nine years. And today we kick off the start of our ten years. That is just awesome to see a church be going strong for ten years. I have been here for seven years, and I have seen many changes and many people in and out, but I am so glad you guys are still here. You guys are faithful. You guys haven't given up. You guys haven't lost your faith. You still come and worship and praise the Lord. And I'm just so glad that you guys are here. The message that I am preaching today, I have entitled it, Why Does Our Faith Fail? The first time I prepared this, it wasn't really a message, it was a lesson. Back in high school, I was attending the, this after-school thing on Wednesday at a Methodist church. And from 3 to 6, down at the New Life Center, we would go, we'd hang out, then we'd have a little lesson. Well, during the summer, they went to this conference called Impact, and they invited me to go with them. And I felt so honored, not really being a part of the church, but being able to go to this, this little retreat. And then on top of that, the youth leader said, you know what? The church is going to pay for you. So that was, just, that was just a true blessing. So we went, it was just an awesome time. And after we came back that Sunday, all the the kids who went were going to be given testimonies. And Tim said, hey, will you prepare a little lesson? You know, the youth are speaking this week. I want you to prepare a little lesson. I'm like, me? I don't even go to this church. He goes, I know, but I believe in you. So this was the message I prepared, and it didn't go well. You know, if you've ever been to a Methodist church, you know, it's okay. It only lasts about 12 minutes of sermons. I spoke for about six. It was just a mess. But I figured, I'm going to try it again, you know. Back then, faith, our trials, were something different. When you face trials as a teenager, as a young adult, you learn later on what real trials are. When you're a teenager, your trials are 
Maybe that boy or girl said they don't want to be your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe you don't have your license, so you can't go everywhere you want to go. Maybe you fell down at the dance and everybody laughed at you. But now that I'm older, I've been through a little bit more trials than what I was back then. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to get into the scripture today. So go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 14. So this is right after Jesus fed the 5,000. So this is going to be the story right after. So Matthew 14, and we're going to start in verse 22. And straightway, or immediately, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So they were on the Sea of Galilee, which is in Israel. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. A lot of pastors and a lot of people spiritualize this whole fact that Jesus went up into the mountains. He was always going up into the mountains. Said, well, you know, he just wanted to be alone with his father, you know. I believe that, but I also believe he just wanted to get away from his disciples. He just, you know, those disciples, they made a lot of mistakes. They did a lot of stupid stuff, and he just wanted to get away from them. He sent them out. He wanted them to go off and think about what he had just done, about this miracle that he had just performed. One thing that he just showed them that they needed to learn about him being a provider. Verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. We're talking about three miles out into the Sea of Galilee. Tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, now according to Roman time and everything, the fourth watch started at 3 a.m. and went till 6 a.m. So they had already been up all day. Jesus preached. They fed 5,000 people, over 5,000 people. Jesus sent them out. They're on the water. It's between 3 and 6 in the morning. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, for they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter came down out of the ship, he walked on water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the boisterous winds, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, and he cried, Lord, save me. And immediately, again, immediately, second immediately we just found in this passage, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, where did you doubt? And when they came into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they were in the ship, came out and worshipped him, saying, Oh, thou art the true, the Son of God. So this message today is for anybody who has ever slipped or fallen, anybody who has ever started something and not finished. I think that's everybody here. If that's not you, if you've never slipped or fallen, if you've never started something and didn't finish, go ahead, take a nap. But for everybody else, 
this message is for you. I love it when God really confirms something to you. We call it, here we call it a God moment. And this morning I was on Facebook. I'm going to show you this picture that I came across. Scrolling through Facebook and one of these picture, one of these pages that I like, it's called Baptist Humor. And this is it. My car has climate control. And we've got Jesus in the boat with the disciples in the storm. That to me was God saying, you know what? This is what I want you to preach on. Do it. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the sunshine and we thank you for the nine years that we celebrated. We thank you for kicking off ten years of serving you, of leading people and bringing people to the saving knowledge of you. Lord, be with us today. Bring your presence into the church and speak to us. Guide me. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's look at this passage. It's not as simple as it may seem on the surface. Peter took his eyes off Jesus. We take our eyes off Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll be okay. I probably said that the first time I spoke on this about 10 or 12 times. And probably a few more. Like I said, I'm going to try it again. So... We're going to look at a little, little at the contradictions that I see in this passage. I want to take a different look at it than what most people talk about. You know, I'm tired of people saying, you know, just keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll be okay. We know that's not okay. We know we're going to have trials. We know we're going to fall. I don't know if anybody's ever seen this game called Headbands. I forgot to bring it to get today, but there's this game called headbands. So you put this headband on, you got like four or five players, and you put a card in it. And you don't see the card. So it'll have a picture of like a cat or a dog. And you have to ask questions in order to figure out what it is. Well, if you were playing this game with Peter, it would be very difficult to figure out who he was. When Jesus met Peter, his name was Simon. And then Jesus changed it to Peter, meaning Petros, or rock. Peter had two different personalities. He had one as Peter and one as Simon. So if you played headbands with Peter or Simon, you would be like, hey, am I impulsive and prone to stupid stuff? Yes. But am I also bold and courageous? Yes. Am I a coward who runs away at the hour of Jesus' crucifixion? Yes, he was. But am I also the one who gets to preach on the day of Pentecost where thousands of souls are saved and boldly declare Jesus' name in the face of opposition? Yes, Peter was. What I'm trying to tell you is God knows how to deal with your downside. Peter had a lot of downside. He denied Jesus. He, like we said, he was impulsive. He was very angry. But God knows how to deal with your downside. Jesus loved Peter through both of, the, both of these personalities. And I'm tired of hearing people, especially Christians, say, God can't do anything with me. Look at my downside. Look at my addiction. 
Look at what I have done. No. He loves you where you are, and he knows how to deal with your downside. He loves you when you're way off path. He loves you when you're walking the straight and narrow. He loves you when you're standing boldly, and he loves you when you are hiding under the covers. He loves you when you are walking on water, and he also loves you when you start to sink beneath the surface. God knows how to deal with your downside. Back to the word. Verse 22. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. He had seen that they had been working hard. They had, you know, been passing out this fish and bread. He made them. They didn't have a choice. You know, it says he constrained them. And constrain means to apply force or pressure. He didn't say, hey guys, if you want to go. He said, no. Go and get into that boat and go to the other side. I will meet you there. They didn't have a choice. So immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves for the contrary. I've heard before people say, the safest place to be is in the will of God. Amen? Right? If the safest place to be is in the will of God, then why did God send the disciples out into the storm? He knew there was going to be a storm coming. Jesus knew that storm was coming, but he still said, go out into that storm. Because the disciples needed to learn something. They already learned that he was a provider. Now they were going to learn that Jesus is also our protector. He just multiplied the fish and bread. But they needed to know that he was going to be with them through a storm. The reason I am pointing this out to you is that sometimes we may get into a storm in our lives and we may think that that storm, that Satan, is working against us. But sometimes we bring storms on ourselves. It's not always Satan's fault that the storm is there. Look at the children of Israel and Moses. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. That wasn't Satan. That was their own dumb decisions of not wanting to follow God, of making calves, of breaking the Ten Commandments, and not listening to Moses. They got themselves into their own storm. Look at Jonah. We know the story of Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh. He's like, no, no way. I am not going to those people. He went the opposite way. He was in a storm, thrown off the boat, swallowed up by a fish. He made his own dumb decision that got himself into his own storm. So that way, in the end, God could bring something out. We also hear, never get ahead of God, you know. Never get ahead of God, but... Jesus sent the disciples on ahead of them. So we're supposed to never get ahead of God, but Jesus sent them on ahead of them. And the safest place to be is in the will of God, but Jesus sent them into a storm? A little contradictory there. And that's why we're going to break this down. If we go over to Mark's Gospel, Mark 6, verse 48, it says, "...and he saw them toiling in row." So he knew that they were having a hard time. 
For the wind was contrary unto them. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God. Just because your marriage is hard doesn't mean it's not God's will for you to stay in that marriage. Just because you don't like your job doesn't mean you can leave it. Just because the wind is against you doesn't mean stop rowing. No. And about the fourth watch of the night, he come unto them walking upon the sea. But here's the part that I really like about Mark's gospel. It says, And he would have passed them by. I think a lot of people, they, they just keep reading right there. They just start reading, they just keep reading right there to where Jesus calms the storm. But no, it says, He would have passed them by. Now let's think about this for a second. I know for me, I was always taught that Jesus went out there to calm the storm. That's what he set out to do. But right here in Mark's gospel, we hear something totally different. It says Jesus would have passed him by. He was walking out there and he was going to the other side. He intended, in another translation it says, he intended to pass by them. So he had all plans to keep walking. You know, maybe it was because he was fully God, but also fully man. He just had his mind on other things. But something changed his plan A in verse 26. Something changed it. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Jesus was planning on meeting them on the other side. But when they cried out, he heard them. Is it possible today that the Holy Spirit is in this church wanting you to cry out to him for help? Maybe you're facing something in your life and the Holy Spirit is sitting right next to you wanting you to cry out for his help. You're just like, no, I've got this. You know, I can do this. Well, you know, we start saying things like, well, God is in control. God's the one who controls the storms. He's the one who heals and blesses. But also here simultaneously, we see that Jesus is also diverted by a response from his disciples. What I'm trying to say is don't underestimate the importance of our own human initiative. If you don't take action, if you don't cry out for help, for God's guidance... You're not going to get it. He's not just going to hand you something that you do not truly want. You've got to cry out for help. This is kind of like when Jesus, after the resurrection, he was there walking with the disciples, and they had no idea that it was Jesus, and they had been walking for miles. In the sixth mile, he finally revealed, Hey, guys, it's me. It's Jesus. Take a look. They wanted him to go on further with him. He said, no, I can't. It is my time to go. So what that, this means to me is it doesn't matter whether I'm crying out in fear or in faith. As long as I'm crying out, my heavenly Father is going to hear me. And he is so compassionate and so loving that he will do whatever it takes to comfort me, to guard me, and to guide me. So the disciples are scared, and they cry out to Jesus, and here is Jesus' response. 
But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. We heard that before. We heard that reference back in Exodus when Moses saw the burning bush. And Moses was afraid. And God said, I am. Jesus is referring back to this. He said, I am the Lord God. I am the God who always was and always will be. Do not be afraid. If Jesus went out there to comfort his disciples, I think there would have been a better way than walking out in the middle of the night in a storm after the disciples have been tired from rowing, they've been up all night. To me, I just think there would have been a more comfortable way if he, for him to approach it if he was going out there to comfort them. But that's not what he was doing. He wasn't doing it. You know, will you recognize God when he comes to you in a way you don't expect? It's one thing to recognize God when he comes to you in the form of a blessing. But what about when he comes to you in the form of pain or sorrow or uncertainty? There's a song a few years ago written by Laura Story. And I've got the chorus up here that I want to read to you. And it was called Blessings. I'm pretty sure most of you have heard it. But I love this song. I love the chorus. And I actually have it to play during offering. It's just one of my favorite songs. And here's what the chorus says. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? God does not always come to us in the form of a blessing. Verse 28, And Peter said unto him, Lord, if it be thou... Bid me come unto thee on the water. If I'm Peter, I'm not going to be like, Jesus, it's you, let me walk out to you. No, I'm going to be like, Jesus, if that is you, calm this storm, put it to rest, let us get some fish, let us get to the other side and rest because I am tired. I'm not going to say, Jesus, is that you? Let me walk out to you. No, I don't think anybody would be like, Jesus, let me walk out to you on this water. I've never walked on water before. No, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, we do this all the time. Lord, if it's really you, give me a job by Monday at 3 p.m. Amen. God, if it's really you, send me a woman, the next woman that walks through that door. Whoa, whoa, no, I choose door two. No, no, we don't say that. No. Peter doesn't ask for a visible sign. He doesn't ask for an improvement in the conditions. Peter asked for something far more greater than just a sign. He asked for a command. Peter didn't ask for the storm to be over. He didn't ask for a guarantee that he could walk on water. He said, God, if it's you, tell me to come. What if you stopped asking God for a guarantee and started asking God to tell you what to do. For one word, one word from Jesus' mouth, he spoke, and Peter followed. If it is you, Lord, tell me to do this. The only way to find out is to step out, and step out in faith. I read this story, 
1859, there was this French tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. He traveled from France all the way over here to America. He wanted to walk across a tightrope across Niagara Falls. He wanted to set the barrier for tightrope walking and do something that had never been done before. So when he was there, there was thousands of people lined up along the Canadian side and both the American side to watch him walk across this tightrope to see if he could make it. He walked across it. He made it. The crowd went crazy. He said, I'm going to do it again. He turned back around, went back across. They went crazy again. He said, do you think I can do it with this wheelbarrow full of rocks? They said, we believe, we believe. He did it again. He stood there and said, do you think I could do it with somebody inside? They said, we believe, we believe. He dumped out the rocks and said, get in. The only way to find out is to step out. A few years ago, I don't remember if I told this story before, um, when I preached before or not, but I was working security down in Winesburg, and I didn't really like it. I had a split shift. I had three different hours. I had two mornings, two midnights, and an afternoon shift. It, it was just ridiculous. And then a friend of mine called me up and said, you know, they're looking for substitute aid teachers in the falls. And I'm like, okay, you know, to go work in uh, special education. I'm like, I could do that. Like, all right. So I went for an interview and they're like, yeah, you know, when can you start, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, I'd have to give a two-week notice and everything. So I was on a Monday. They're like, well, let us know and everything. So I come back here doing some things for Wednesday night for youth. And I'm just praying, God, if you want me to have this job at the falls, you know I'm going to have to have something else. Because I was taking a pay cut, plus it was just a substitute thing. It wasn't a guaranteed thing every day. It's like, God, if you want me to go to the falls, I'll go. But you know I need something else. I already told him I'd take it. I need something else. So I'm here that day, that Monday afternoon, doing some things, and my phone rings. And it was a lady who I had done videography for. She said, hey, we're going to be starting after-school programs again in the Akron Public Schools. Are you interested in taking a middle school? It'll be from 3 to 5 every day. I'm like, absolutely. I'll take it. Right there. God said, here you go. Here's another job. An hour later, my boss for the security company calls me and says, hey, um, I found another post for you. I didn't know if you were really happy there at Winesburg, so I found another post for you. I said, well, I'm not happy. I said, I don't like the hours. I said, it's, it's boring. I, you know, For the night shifts, I sit all night and do nothing. She goes, well, I've got another post for you. I said, well, I was going to call you anyways and give you my two-week notice. You know, I found another job. She goes, oh, well, I was going to put you at this other post to no- tomorrow, so that's fine. Don't worry about it. I said, do you need me to go in this week? She goes, nope, don't worry about it. To me... That right there was a God story. I love sharing it. God just revealed himself to me. I took that walk of faith and I said, all right, I'll go and work in the special education program at the Falls. But God, I need something else. And he provided for me. Peter went a-walking. And he's not really walking on water because we can't walk on water. He's walking on a word. He's walking on C-O-M-E. And as long as he is walking on C-O-M-E, 
He was fine. But when he stopped walking on that word, when he saw something that contradicted what Jesus said, he started to slip. The same thing happens to you. The same thing happens to me. We get out there. We get doing our thing for God. We're out there loving and forgiving. And then we take his eyes off our word. We take his eyes off what he had planned for us. And we start to fall. I got this picture of a ropes course. I don't know if anybody has ever done one of these. But I did one back when I was in middle school at a camp. And what it is, is you have a harness on you. And you got it hooked up to another rope. And you're just walking across. There's different ropes, ladders and everything. And sometimes they're 50, 60, 100 feet in the air. And the youth pastor who went with us to this camp, he went up there to do it, and I said, Pastor Kyle, aren't you afraid of heights? He said, yeah, I am. I said, well, then why are you doing this? He said, you know, as long as I got this harness on, as long as I have something here to catch me when I fall, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried about it. This event of peer walking on water was recorded in all three, all four Gospels. Well, if you turn over to John, John was kind of arrogant. You know how to turn there. I just want to tell you a little bit about it. He always referred to himself as the, the disciple that Jesus loved. He always thought, I'm better than everybody. Jesus loves me more than you. In John's Gospel of this account, he never told the fact of Peter walking out on the water. Kind of like that picture there was somebody standing down there taking a picture. They weren't up there. It wasn't from, the, it wasn't from a up higher perspective. No, they were down looking up. John didn't put this in his gospel because he was still on the boat with an iPhone taking pictures of Peter and video of Peter, hoping Peter would fall because he was so arrogant himself, he didn't have enough faith to step out himself. But Peter knew as long as he walked on C-O-M-E, everything would be okay. But he also knew that if he started to fall, that his master would save him. I don't think this is a story of... Peter who walked on water. Why don't we make it a story about the other guys who never got out of the boat, never had enough faith to take one step because they were back in the boat with an iPhone videoing Peter so they could put it up on Facebook and YouTube and get a whole bunch of likes. What about that? What about those other disciples? Check out verse 28. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter came down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And, here we see this word again, immediately. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand, pushed Peter down into the water and said, What are you thinking? Why would you think you can walk on water? You're not Jesus. You took your eyes off me. You deserve to fall. No. He stretched out his hand immediately and caught him. The point of this message to me is not to demonstrate the weakness of Peter's faith. 
It's to demonstrate the greatness of God's grace. Old hymn that we used to sing. I love it. A chorus goes like this. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Grace that is greater than my failure. Grace that is greater than my divorce. Grace that is greater than my bankruptcy. Grace that is greater than the layoff. Grace that is greater than the addiction. Greater than the slip-up. Greater than the mess-up. Greater of the opinions of the people back in the boat telling you, you can't do it. Don't let anybody in your boat, don't let anybody around you with an iPhone filming you as you walk through the storm when they're standing back. You keep stepping. You have a God who knows how bad the storm is. You have a God who has inspector gadget arms that as soon as you start to fall, he's going to reach down and he's going to pick you up and pull you back up and restore you. Peter failed at what he sent out to do. But Jesus succeeded at exactly what he intended to prove. We always think that the proof that God was in something is the success of that thing. No. Just because you don't succeed at something doesn't mean God didn't intend you to do that. It means he wanted you to learn something. But here we see that Jesus clearly told Peter to come, but yet he knew it was going to end in failure. Again, he sent them out on the storm. He sent them out on the water knowing there was going to be a storm. He told Peter to come, but he knew Peter was going to fail and fall down. Why would Jesus command Peter to do something that he knew was going to end in failure? Why would he command you? Why would he want you to do something that he knows is going to end in failure? Why does God want you to enter a relationship that he knows is going to end in failure? Why does God want you to enter a job that he knows isn't going to go well? Why does God allow you to set out to achieve something that he knows is going to end in failure? And I believe the answer to that is found in verse 31. And immediately... Jesus stretched forth his hand. He caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, where did you doubt? People and preachers beat Peter up all the time about this. Peter, you just didn't have enough faith. If you would have had enough faith, you could have kept walking all the way out to Jesus. But if we look back a few chapters, when Jesus went to his hometown, it says he couldn't perform a lot of miracles because of their lack of faith. We've got to remember, lack of faith and having a little faith are totally different. They didn't believe at all. You know, we'd say, Peter should have had more faith. You know, where do we have the judge? A lot of us can barely get up in the morning and have devotion time, quiet time, or spend enough time in prayer. Where do we have time? Where do we have the place to judge Peter's faith? when we're just sitting here doing nothing, when we're coming to church just to come to church. No. Peter couldn't walk on water, but at least he stepped out. 
I don't believe that Jesus was questioning Peter's quality of faith or the quantity of his faith. He was questioning the duration of Peter's faith. Peter's faith was working. He had enough faith. It just stopped. And how many times does our faith just stop? Just like, eh, I'm done. The point of this message, and when I read this text, is not that we need to have more faith. It's just that we need to have enough faith that when we are close enough to Jesus, that when we start to fall, when we start to fail, Jesus, as the harness, like in that picture of the, the ropes course, that Jesus is the harness. When we start to fall, he's going to catch us. We need to make sure that we, that's how close we are to Jesus. Because we all fall. We know it says in Romans, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. Just be close enough that when you start to fall, Jesus as the harness will pick you up and save you. I knew this guy in college. He had a very nice life application Bible. And he always kept it in the case. Not like one of those decorative cases. The box that it originally came in. He'd take it out, use it, and put it back in that box. You know, it wasn't one that he had just got. No, he had had this for years. And here I am. I've had many Bibles throughout the years, you know, because I believe that a Bible that is falling apart is about the sign of a life of a person who isn't, right? No, he didn't say that. You know, he said, I said to him, I said, why do you keep your Bible in that box all the time? He said, I have one goal in life, and that's to live a mistake-free life. I said, what? That's kind of the opposite thing of Jesus for us. You know, I read this article one time about new churches and about churches in general. And it said, for a beginning church, in order to really succeed, you're going to have to fail. Why are we going to have to fail in order to succeed? Because if we set out there to do something, and we do it immediately, without any hesitation, without any hiccups, without any speed bumps, you're like, yeah. Look what I did. Look what I did. I don't need God. I did this. I set out to do it. It's been two weeks and it's done. No. For us as a church, in order to grow, we're going to see failures in this church. We're going to try things that don't work. We're going to see people come and go. But just because they come and go doesn't mean it's not God's will for this church. It's, he wanted us to learn something. Just because we try and start a program and it doesn't work out, doesn't mean we're not in God's will. No, he wanted, to learn, he wanted us to learn something. That we need to rely on him. On the surface of this passage, it's about a man who doubted that he could do it. But on a deeper, le- deeper level, it comes to the next verse. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. All right, so they're out there on the water. There's a storm. Jesus walks out to him. He tells Peter to come. Peter starts walking out. He falls down. Jesus saves him, picks him back up. They walk back to the boat in the storm. And then Jesus calms the water. Why didn't he calm it right away? I don't think he calmed it right away because he wanted Peter to have a second chance at this water walking thing. He wanted to show Peter, Peter, I am with you. I am walking beside you. We are making it back to that boat in this storm. He said, you can do it with my help. God will not leave you in your failure. 
The disciples knew that Jesus was a provider. And now they learned he was a protector. And in order to know, to truly know that he was a protector, they had to go through a storm in their life. They needed to go through something where they needed protection. You know, the cool thing about Peter is he didn't brag that he was out there on the water. Like I said, this is also recorded in the Gospel of Mark. And later on is when Peter told this story to Mark. Mark wasn't there at the account. It was like 20 years later, Peter was telling this story to Mark. So we're going to read Mark 6 again, verse 43. We're going to read this from Mark's Mark's perspective. And we're going to notice something a little different from Mark's point of view. Verse 45 of Mark 6. And straightway he constrained the disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before Bethsaida, while he sent the people away. And when he sent them away, he departed in a mountain to pray. And when the eve, evening was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he, and he was on the land. And when he saw them toiling in a row, when he saw them having trouble, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he come unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. And when he saw them walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a spirit and cried out. For they saw unto him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was not hard. What's missing in this passage as compared to Matthew? Matthew was there. He saw it for himself. And he added more detail. What's missing? Where is Peter? Where is Peter in this passage? And if it was me, if I was Peter, and I was telling this story to Mark, I'd be like, yep, we're out there on, on the water. There's a storm coming. Jesus came out. He told me to come out. I started walking out. And even though the winds were against me, the waves were ten foot high, there were sharks swimming all around. Yeah, I took my eyes off Jesus for a minute, but I still stepped out, and then we walked back. No. Peter didn't do that. Because Peter finally realized that the point was not about him. It was never about him in this passage. It was all about God. He said, Mark, here's what you need to know. We were in a storm. Jesus came out and he saved us and he protected us. Write that down, Mark. Tell the world. That's what you need to know. One last passage that I'm going to read. It's from 1 Peter. It's from Peter's epistle. You know, like we talked about Peter. He was a walking, contradictory person. Angry at one point. Faithful to Jesus at another. He said, Jesus, I am with you till the end, even if I have to die with you. And then what happened? He lost his faith again. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. He lost his faith on the night when Jesus was taken from the garden. Three more times, Peter lost his faith. But let's look at these couple verses from Peter's epistle says, Wherein ye 
greatly rejoice. Through now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory unto the appearing of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it again from the New King James Version. It says, In this greatly rejoice, through now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. What's another word that we have for trials? Storms. Uncertainties. So you will have storms in your life. But the, great, but the genuineness of your faith, the realness of your faith, being much more than precious than gold that perisheth, though it's going to be tested by fire, may it be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It took a storm for Peter to realize that Jesus was there with him no matter what. It took a storm for Peter to realize that Jesus is his protector. What kind of storm is it going to take for you to realize that God is there with you? Don't wait for that storm to come to realize that God is there with you. He is with you all the time as long as you will call upon His name and have enough faith to step out. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to step out to do? Maybe it is to get a new job. Maybe it's God's calling you to step out to witness to a family member, to a friend. Maybe God's calling you to step out to start a new ministry for this church. Maybe God's calling you to step out to help out with the youth or with the children's program. What is God calling you to step out to do? Are you going to step out or are you going to stay back there in the boat with an iPhone filming everybody else? God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for your grace that you have shown us. We thank you that you are a harness that no matter what we go through, whenever we fall and we call upon you to save us, you will stretch forth your hand and save us. Father, whatever it is that you are calling us to step out to do, Let us have that faith to step out in your name.